Hello and welcome to another episode of Red Shirts, the podcast about Star Trek, where my friends Maddie Vulcan Death Grip Church House and Nathan yes! Sp- Nathan Spock Wank Thomas get to <laughs> teach me a Star Trek noob uh, about the wonderful world of Star Trek. We're looking at our first ever Voyager episode today. We're doing the we're doing it. It's a special two parter essentially because we're watching. We're looking at the first uh, two episodes of Voyager, aren't we? The, that, that's uh, it's a two part called the Caretaker, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it is our first experience of Voyager. What did you guys think? I gave this episode a solid B minus. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a reasonable grade for it, though. Like it's. Um, I thought it was just a very standard opening episode in a lot of ways. I think they did some really nice character introductions that we can talk about later. Um, it but it set up the premise for the series and the characters got together in a way that was accessible. Um, but it wasn't like a standout great episode, which in some ways is a bit of a shame because two of my favourite Star Trek episodes are the Deep Space Nine opener that we will see um, next next week on the podcast and um, the TNG opener. Um, but I'm not. I think those are more like not because they're outstanding episodes, but I think they're a lot more memorable than this one is. Yeah, I would say that maybe the strongest bit about this opening two-parter was what you just mentioned, the way that the characters actually get together. Um, The fact that it's not just um, a Starfleet crew on Voyager, it's a Starfleet crew on Voyager, plus also there's some terrorists... Um, yes. And then there's some fucking douchebag called Tom Paris that I just, I just, I fucking hate him, guys. I, I thought you might so want some context for who the Marquis yeah. are because they're quite important in TNG, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager. So I'm Nathan, prepared. like on that, yeah, on that note, could you? Does someone want to explain roughly what generally happens in? Oh yeah, that's my bit. I and, get to yeah, do this. and then Nathan, you can tell us who the Marquis are. They're not actually just a big tent that stands outside in someone's garden. <laughs> they are, in fact, very scary, dangerous terrorists. Yeah. So um, we start um, with uh, Captain Janeway coming to bother someone who is... <coughs> Wanker. <laughs> we shall see. Uh, but yes, um, she seems to recruit him for a secret mission. Oh, no, but th- that is... Uh, before we have that uh, opening crawl, like Star Wars style, and we see the Marquis being chased by a, a Cardassian ship and apparently exploding. Um, mm. Janeway says that she's going to pursue that ship, and then we we cut to. I'm going to do it a lot faster than I normally do because there's so much in an hour. Um, then we see the Voyager at Deep Space Nine, which continues the tradition they have of. Um, one show seeing off another um, because we we get like uh, in the TNG pilot you see McCoy in Deep Space Nine you see Picard and in Voyager now you see um, Quark of Deep Space Nine so there is always one character from the previous chronological series which I think is cute um, anyway they are going into the Badlands um, we are introduced to members of the crew including Ensign Harry Kim um, and stuff in, in those nice shots that we've already said we'll talk about later. They go into the Badlands, go to the last known exp- um, position, and then there is a huge explosion. Uh, Voyager is stricken um, many thousands of light years from home. 70,000, I want to say, uh, mm. or something like that, something yeah. silly. Um, they are um, all, like, many important people have died, many... Um, crewmen are abandoned, they run around doing damage control and panicking for a bit, and then they all get kidnapped to some kind of farm ranch, and (laughs) they're incredibly testy at all of these nice people that keep talking to them, and they realise they're all holograms. Um, They then 
um, do what Starfleet is known to do and poke their noses into everything, and that rewards them with horrifying medical scenes. <laughs> um, before they're all they kidnapped are... again after already having previously been kidnapped. <laughs> yeah, but then they're returned, except Harry Kim and apparently one of the Marquis um, people, because the, the Marquis ship is yes. also there. Um, and they team up to go find their um, allies. They meet a creature called Neelix in uh, the debris field, who agrees to help manage their way through this sector. Meanwhile, we see Belana Torres and Harry Kim, the two kidnapped crew members, um, awake in some kind of hospital with a strange alien species called the Ocampans, who explain that this person is a caretaker, and that they have a horrible uh, disease that means they're going to die. Being <laughs> Starfleet slash ex-Starfleet, they not want to um, sit around, so they immediately start escaping. Meanwhile, Neelix leads Starfleet to the Kazon, who are people who live on a desert and are desperate for water, and lets out what he saw on Voyager in a disturbing bathing scene uh, that they could make water out of nowhere. Uh, <laughs> so this kicks off some conflict as they try and grab hold of that and they work out a way to get to the underground where the Ocampans are and as the caretaker starts to shoot the planet from his space station thingy that they were kidnapped to they rescue their crewmen but then the Kazons start attacking because you know You've got to have at least two attackers. Tuvok has already explained by this point that the caretaker's dying. He's trying to do send out his last energy. Uh, we have a speech about all of this, and the self-destruct mechanism is disabled. The Kazon are attacking and ram the thing. And um, given what might happen to the Ocampans and incoming reinforcements, Janeway decides to blow up the caretaker ray. Uh, the Marquis ship is lost in defending the array from the Kazons before they do that. And um, so everyone's kind of just got to get along now and uh, they set course for home. Yeah, and like because the caretaker, this massive space station circling the Acampan planet is what dragged them all the way into the Delta Quadrant or whatever it's called in the first place, when they blow up a caretaker, they then have no way to get home. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> have to like slowly poodle all the way back across space um, yeah. along with yeah their new bodies the terrorists uh, yeah. and so you wanted to know what the marquee was because mm. this will be relatively important set up in TNG and then they're quite a big force in Deep Space Nine they drive a lot of episodes there and obviously the friction between the crew is important in Voyager I think it's one of the like more important ideas created by this what I now think of as the second era of Star Trek the TNG Deep Space Nine Voyager era so you you have the Cardassians who are bad guys throughout all three series um, and there is before TNG times a war between the Federation and the Cardassians and then in the border settlement a bunch of Federation colonies become Cardassian and vice versa. People were offered, you can relocate or you can stay here, but you will become part of the Cardassian citizens. And the colonists by this point had been there a long time. And some of them were like, nah, fuck that. We're not being forced out slash be, we want to be independent. And Starfleet was like, well, we can't really do that. And they were like, no, fuck it. And so they take up guns and there are lots of, defecting Starfleet officers who don't like the way that the Federation handled things. And um, people who have sympathy for the Marquis come up and there is a lot of episodes focusing around whether they're doing the right things and whether they're taking it too far and so on. Um, so that's what the Marquis are. They're essentially rebels from the Federation because uh, they shoot at both sides because um, they're not happy with Starfleet and they're not happy with the Cardassians. Which I think is really interesting. I think it's a sort of more nuanced um, depiction of Starfleet than what I've seen so far a lot of the time, where it's just like, Starfleet, good, enemy, bad. Starfleet, yeah. people can make bad decisions, but still Starfleet. And now actually we've got this whole group of people who are like, well, we were Starfleet officers, but we decided that you all suck. So we're yeah. now we're freedom yeah, fighters and absolutely. we hate you. Bam, bam. And we also wear, like, we dress in, like, grungy post-apocalyptic <laughs> punk clothes just to make it clear that we're not part of your poncy primary-coloured uniforms. 
<laughs> yeah, everyone in the marquee looks like they're like the, that marquee ship uh, from this episode. The the crew of that look like they're in a really bad, like sort of like a garage pub band, uh, <laughs> like play covers of Nirvana songs. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. Deep Space Nine is the place to go for exploring these ideas further. I mean, I think it's an interesting thing to bring up some interpersonal conflict in Voyager, but they're so far away from the conflict that they care about that it doesn't come up, the political side of it doesn't come up much in Voyager, whereas Deep Space Nine is a former Cardassian station, part of their former empire, now maintained by the Federation, the Marquis come up a lot. And the place they escape into, the Badlands, are a area that the Marquis hide out in, which is full of plasma storms and stuff, so it makes it hard for the big Cardassian and Federation cruisers to travel in, because it's all explodies, which is why they're in nippy little radar ships all the time. So you're telling me that not only are the Marquis not in fact just a large white tent that sits in the field, but the Badlands is not in fact like a, a bit of desert where like nothing grows, that just has like one shit Marquis in it <laughs> for a wedding that no one came to. <laughs> No. <laughs> Instead, it's a really badly animated storm. <laughs> Portion of face, face, yeah. Can we talk about how the opening scene is a massive fuck you to George Lucas? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go for it's, it. Like, it starts with uh, text on a black background that's got stars on it and stuff, uh, like scrolling yeah. up from yeah, the that was bizarre. to the top. And it, 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 like the most famous thing about Star Wars is that that happens at the start of every Star Wars film. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's like the people who made Voyager have just gone. Yeah, I think they've done it on purpose just to have a big, just to have a laugh because they're like, yeah, we're we're better than you. We're just going to nick your thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was what? When did this come out? Like ninety six or something? So it's three years. Maybe it's just around the time that people realise that like Phantom Menace is in the works. <laughs> Like, yeah. <laughs> better jump on this bandwagon and shite all over it before it happens. Yeah, so this was uh, 1995, January 16th, 1995. Wow, I was one year old. I no, wasn't, I wasn't born. I was, I was two months old. Aw, baby muddy. Nathan was just a twinkle in his mummy and daddy's eye. <laughs> 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 oh. Can we talk about the uh, the crew that is assembled for Voyager? Because yeah, I've never seen Voyager before, so the vast majority of these people were first, first impressions of uh, each of the each member of the crew. I think is All a right, good yeah. way to do the the pilot yeah. episode. Okay. So yeah, let's scroll let, let, through. Let's... Start start with Janeway then, because obviously yeah. she's like the most important person. Uh, Captain in this Janeway group. slash Mrs. Trunchable from Matilda. <laughs> Hey, wow, come on, what the fuck, Jake? <laughs> They're so different. Just because they both have, like, a kind of matronly beehive look going on doesn't mean that she, like, swings children around by the arms and at one point is going to make Neelix force-feed him chocolate cake until he vomits all over the bridge. Like, look, uh, look. If if we if, <laughs> we can talk about Janeway in a second, I just want it on record that I absolutely fucking hate Neelix. <laughs> <laughs> I Neelix don't know is the how worst it's... character in anything I've ever Jake, seen. Jake, I completely disagree because I cannot possibly understand how it is possible to say that Neelix is the worst character you've ever seen when he exists in the same universe as Tom Paris. Tom, <laughs> racist, misogynistic Paris, whose literal second opening scene was him sexually harassing a colleague who was just trying to fly a transporter to Voyager, <laughs> creeping into her personal space like a psychopath, and then, ten minutes later, she blew up! Her entire purpose in the show was to establish that the hero was a raging misogynist, and then she fucking died for her trouble. If that... <laughs> My god, I'm so angry, guys. And honestly, that we he luckily for me, I think, you know, Tom Paris becomes more and more irrelevant as the story goes on when I was breathing a massive sigh of relief as all of the other characters kind of get their time to shine instead. But then he decides that because no one's been paying attention to him enough and he, you know, he's gone a solid hour without sexually harassing another woman um, towards the end of the episode. He decides to round it off by making loads of really racist comments towards Chakotay. And it took me ages to work out. Was he trying to say that 
He kept going on about, like, don't you Indians have some magic trick to turn into a bird and fly away? Ha 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 look at me. Um, is Chakotay Native American? I, I had yeah, no idea yeah, what was going he's on. he's a Native All American. All I knew was that Tom um, Paris was definitely being racist at a time where he should have been trying to stop them both from dying. <laughs> Well, yeah, he says it just as he's saving Chakotay's life. So he's like, I'm going to save your life, and then I'm going to racially abuse you, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and well... Chakotay's like, I'm literally dying here on the floor, so I'm just going to have to accept these microaggressions and let you drag me out of this collapsing cavern. Honestly, <laughs> all we needed was for Tom Paris to then say that he doesn't vote for gay marriage, and he just would have been the holy trinity of arseholes, all within the first two pilots of the series. It's unbelievable. I hope he dies. <laughs> look okay we- look we've gone off we 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 understand your feelings about tom paris we, uh, we've established let's... that tom paris is a racist and a misogynist well there's one thing i, I want to talk about in i regards still to hate neelix more right <laughs> we can get to the characters you do hate in a minute chill <laughs> we we've gone off janeway sorry let's get back to janeway oh she's boring Jane- i don't care about her <laughs> what jake i thought she was really cool i actually like janeway she was kind of she's because she seems quite small but also like quite sort of snappy and i really what i really liked about her I think most of all was um, her relationship with Tuvok. I thought that was absolutely beautiful, the way they sort of bounced off each other um, and that he's clearly like her right-hand man that she trusts and so well. And two experienced having worked together officers mm, of this crew, yeah. it seems. Like, a lot of the others are quite low rank. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I've got a character list in front of me and it's like, he's lieutenant commander and then... Chokote is higher than him rank-wise, but that's yeah. because he's been given a field commission. He's, yeah. That's not a real rank. <laughs> yeah. I think, to be fair, like, Chakotay and Tuvok and Janeway definitely exude the charisma that you would expect of experienced Starfleet officers. Yeah. Whereas people like Harry Kim exude, I'm a cute little noob energy. Um, yeah, which, and is, then, which is nice to have, because yeah. you have that yeah. nice little relationship. I mean, I really Absolutely. liked, speaking of Harry Kim, I really liked their first interaction because it established so much about the two of them really efficiently because it went, um, yes, sir, despite what Starspeak Protocol says, uh, I don't want to be addressed as sir. Sorry, ma'am. Captain is sufficient. Ma'am will do in a pinch. Captain is sufficient. And it's like, and oh, and then what was that other line she says? Oh, um, uh, at ease, Ensign Kim, before you strain something. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Harry Kim was just, can we just say, he was definitely the light and soul of just cuteness for this episode, as far as Mm. I'm concerned. He was a very wholesome, like, you know, cut from whole cloth, just come through Starfleet Academy, wants to be a good officer, handsome 90s haircut, strong jawline, just trying to do his best and respect his captain, um, and then getting all flustered and calling her sir, and then mom, and then mom again. (laughs) And then she's like, we're not in the crunch yet, Harry. I'll tell you when. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and then I, I love I love Janeway's command style actually because I think it strikes a nice balance between the tougher, no nonsense all officers of Kirk and Cisco and the gentler yeah. command style of um, Picard. Mm. Because like there was a lot of moments where she she cares about her officers, she interacts with them very nicely, but then when she's on the bridge and in command, there's a very like. A fish, like when the battle starts and she goes, surely we can talk about this. Apparently not. Evasive maneuvers, fire phases. It's just like, <laughs> I've tried to diplo- diplomacy you. I'm not going to get you on hailing frequencies again. You had your chance. Fire. <laughs> I, I agree with you, Nathan. I think she was a lovely balance between some kind of like Kirk and some kind of like Picard. She had the, you know, she had the chops, but she also at various points in the battle it's just like oh you know let's go down to med bay oh no let's go down to engineering who needs a fucking chief engineer when your captain can just fix the warp core herself yeah. <laughs> who needs a doctor when you've just got a holo doctor instead half the crew like half the command crew get blown up in this initial you know, crunch where they're pulled from wherever the hell they are all the way to the delta quadrant but the ship functions absolutely fine Scotty's dead. Janeway doesn't care. She just does the engineering herself. Yeah. McCoy also dead. Janeway doesn't give a shit. She just turns on the hologram doctor and he hypos everyone in sight. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. she also is like quite... For a second. 
Yeah. The, the ship is an interesting design. It's the first sort of one that doesn't look exactly like all the other ones have looked like. Uh, I I think the Voyager looks like one of those things that you get inside shoes to keep them from losing their shape. <laughs> I have never thought of that, but you're right. I actually quite like the shape of Voyager. It it's grown on me. It's not sexy or elegant like the Enterprise is. I don't know why I think this Enterprise is sexy and elegant because it's not. But like the TNG Enterprise, I I really dislike. I like the the favorite. What what are your favourite like uh, star uh, Starfleet models? Because I've definitely got opinions. My well, favourite one is from this episode. It's the little shuttle that they use to get to the Voyager from uh, Deep Space Nine, uh, because it's essentially just Thunderbird Four. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yes, so cute. I'll be interested to see what you think of uh, Defiant when that shows up. That because um, in Deep Space Nine they eventually realised that having them go everywhere in shuttles whenever they needed to go somewhere was dumb. So they give the station a proper ship to fly around in. Um, and I'll be interested to see what you think of Defiant because that is a very different design to most. I'm going to Google ship. it now. I am very shallow and I'm attracted to bells and whistles, and therefore my favourite things on um, Star Trek ships are. I love how Discovery does that like spinny thing whenever they activate the warp drive and the whole ship's just like whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, but I also really loved in this how when Voyager fires photon torpedoes or phases, whatever it was, like it kind of charges up along the side of the hole, like do 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 pew. Yeah, I thought that was a that, really nice um, touch. You get that effect increasingly across TNG because um, they worked out how to do it. I think for the movies where so the uh, enterprise the tng enterprise blows up in its first movie and they replace it with a sovereign class the enterprise e which is it is a beautifully sexy ship um uh, it's the most nerdy thing i've ever heard you say oh i right i it's gonna get worse but uh let's let's delve deep into my love of this ship where so in star trek online the online mmo I discovered that uh, they have this thing called scaling ships, where if you buy one of the premium ships, you can fly them all the time and you don't ever need to replace it because it will level with you. And I, when they released the Sovereign of that, I immediately paid a lot of money for... <laughs> a lot of money, relatively speaking, for um, something that doesn't exist, because I bought everything <laughs> relating to that ship so that I could fly it forever and I could fly it in the uh, Starfleet Intelligence uh, loadout so that it was cool and black and sexy. Um, wow, I've been... There's no way I can possibly out-nerd that this episode. That's just... Yeah, wow. I stand in awe. Um, can we go back to talking about the characters? Um, we talked yes. right, talk about Janeway. We've touched on lovely Harry Kim. What about Tuvok? Oh, Tuvok. Yeah, no, let's go Tuvok. Tuvok is so handsome. Oh my goodness. That's all I have to say. Goodbye. <laughs> Tim, Tim Ross, is a mass- who's the person who plays Tuvok, is a massive Trekkie as well. He, Aww. he appears like four or five times in minor roles before this, before Aww. finally like landing this part. And he did, does, like, he... A common thing I always see from Voyagers is, uh, like, when Voyager fans who would, like, try and Convince me to watch more of Voyager, and I'm, I don't dislike it. I, I should, I should. That makes it sound like I don't, don't like it. If you want to see what it's like for me not to like a series, we wait until we get onto Enterprise. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, it, they they always talk up how good Tuvok um, is as a Vulcan character and how interestingly they portray. Um, like it's like without being Spock, a different Vulcan, and I'm like, yes, yeah, he and, is. And I he's, he's clearly the fact that you say he's a Trekkie that makes so much sense because my first note that I wrote for him, him, my first note that I wrote for him is that this guy has clearly studied Leonard Nimoy's inflection a lot and has fully absorbed that and then turned it into something new, but that's still very in in connection with. Like OG Spock, I was really impressed by that. I, I I think there is one element to it that made me a bit sad though, because I realised on watching Tuvok that you can have a character that is a Vulcan 
that isn't Spock, and I kind of became sad because I was like, oh, all of the Vulcans I've seen in modern Star Trek have all basically been Spock or evil. All related to Spock. Like, how many people now play Spock, if you think about (laughs) it? Not that many, three. It's not, I mean, it's not loads. It's not as many as Doctor Who, is it? It depends if you count, like, child Spock or not. Oh, shite, yeah. Okay, fine, five. We've got five. (laughs) Three old adult Spocks, two. Zachary Quinto. Leonard Nimoy, Ethan Spe- Ethan Speck, Ethan Peck, Ethan Speck. Do they just do they guess Ethan Speck just because Ethan his name Speck. sounds a bit like Spock? Spock yeah. yeah, Zachary Quinto again, no choice, no choice but to stand. And um, anyone who doesn't like Kelvin verse uh, can personally come round to my address and fight me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ethan Peck, and then there's also baby Ethan Peck in Discovery, and then we have baby Quinto. Um, in the first Star Trek film. I presume you have prepared new insults for today. Wow! <laughs> yeah. I love I love Vulcans for their, um, like... Because we get it in this. I love lines like that, because we get um, in this... Uh, was your uh, plan to hand us into their waiting hands, Vulcan? My mission was to gather <laughs> information on the Marquee movement and then deliver them into, <laughs> into the waiting hands of Earth. <laughs> Uh, the way he delivered that line was absolutely wonderful. I, he was spot Tuvok. on through this. Again, yes, I'm so glad you guys love Tuvok too because I he stood out to me as probably my favorite character potentially. Um, the, yeah, the, the scenes first, between first him episode. and Neelix the cunt. Oh, um, <laughs> yes, when Neelix is in the bath, like yeah. covered in bubbles. Um, oh god, and like having the time of his life, like the little squirrel man that he is, and then Tuvok. <laughs> For some reason, decides I'm just going to walk into the bathroom and then act really embarrassed when this man is naked in his own bathroom. To be fair to Neelix, very reasonable. Um, and then Neelix just like climbs out of the bath and starts coming over into his personal space, and you can see that Tuvok's trying not his toes cr- are, like curling inside his little starfleet <laughs> boots. His his ear the tips of his ears are like shriveling with horror as <laughs> Neelix sort of clambers over to him, butt naked. Um, so I feel like we can't avoid it. Jake, what are your objections to Neelix, please? He's the worst character. He's just the worst. Why? <laughs> He's like I, a wholesome I, version of Harry Mudd with a better dress sense. When, <laughs> so when he first came on the, on the screen, <laughs> when he first came on the screen, the first note I wrote was, I immediately hate Neelix. Oh, no! What did he do? And the, and then the next note that I made is, I hope Neelix gets his skin burned off. Oh my god! Is it his voice? Because his voice is very, dates him, I think, a lot to those kind of like mid noughties American cheesy sci-fi situations. Yeah. I'm a little alien and I talk like this! Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a bit of that. It's a bit sort of... It, do you know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of sort of the, the baddies in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. <laughs> like... You know, they're sort of like overly stylized and overly caricatured sort of evil guys. I just mm. assumed he was going to be a bad guy when he first oh, turned up. Yeah. And so then... you were prejudiced, that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no, I'm going to get cancelled again. Why don't you uh, like his suit that looks like it came off the back of a bus? A bus seat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chewing talking... gum and all. <laughs> like diagonal stripes in sort of washed out shades of puce green and beige the the best suit in this episode is when we see quark at the fir- in the first half of it when he's trying to sell things to harry kim uh, quark's wearing a suit that uh, he's absolutely serving in that suit it's lovely uh, but neelix is an absolute prick and i hate him he and- saves his girlfriend who's been like pulled into slavery by those weird orange yeah, people but that want to Do you think she really wanted to get rescued though? Do you think she What, you think she likes being beaten <laughs> and enslaved? What the shit, Jake? Oh, this sounds like spend... a bad feminist kind of thing. It's bad. <laughs> Look, all I'm saying is that if I had a choice between being enslaved and being beaten up every day and living Sharing with Neelix, a bath with Neelix. <laughs> I'd, go, I'd go with the, the, the slavery every day. I fucking hate Neelix. I can't describe how much I It's not an uncommon opinion, I've got to say. Many people don't like Neelix. It's not... Good. They... The reason why nobody likes Neelix is because they're all they've all got good opinions. Like, 
But he doesn't, he like, he, to be fair, he's actually a good person. He's kind of one of those quivering, cowering, mousy-like um, stereotypes that so often is the bad guy, like those Power Ranger whatever's you run about. And I guess kind of like Peter Pettigrew, sniver it, like sniveling and and sneering and, and, and all of that. But he's actually good. But I guess that kind of triggers something instinctive where we see someone acting like that and we're like so i i get why you don't like him i don't get why you hate him should we talk talk about about, uh, chakotay chakotay my bad sorry yeah i feel like he's you don't get too much of him this episode really compared to like a lot of a lot of his scenes are introductions for other characters you see enough Mm. to get an idea of him but i feel like we'll see him come into his own a few more episodes down the line in Voyager where he's, like, properly established as first officer and so on. Um, I was really relieved that he, Belana, and Tuvok immediately joined the Voyager crew and that Chakotay is the first officer because that other bloke that's, like, the first officer, Rollins, whatever the hell, boring (laughs) AF, doesn't do anything. And I was like, what is the point of having the first female Starfleet captain on a bridge surrounded by wanky white men and Tom <laughs> Paris, but then also like Harry Kim in the back being cute and wholesome. And then the one woman that's also there on the bridge is blown up. So when Chakotay becomes first officer um, and then they all like, you know, join in, I was like, thank fuck for that because everyone on the marquee was actually interesting. Mm. I mean, I, for a man with a face tattoo, he is not as... <laughs> He's not as threatening <laughs> as I was expecting him to be. Yeah, his, his face tattoo is like quite, kind of like cool and sexy, and I'm into face tattoos. Like maybe not, you know, like um, fucking what's his face, but Chicote face tattoo, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, what's that guy's face? Ah, I'm gonna have to say this again because I don't even remember what his name are you, is. Are you are you thinking of Post Malone? <laughs> yeah, Chicote face tattoo, sexy. Post Malone face tattoo. Not sexy. <laughs> you want to know a funny thing about Chakotay? So, um, early seasons, he's really stereotypical and not a good depiction of um, a Native American at all. And then oh, later God. on, he gets a lot better to the point that some um, Native American Star Trek fan wrote a really good piece of fan fiction about him. Oh, nice. And do you want to know why he gets better in later seasons? Why? Because for the first few seasons, they hired a dude who was an expert consultant on Native American culture and things, but he was a complete fraud and was making up all the information <gasps> to get... Oh, cons- no! <laughs> oh, he, they literally me. hired Tom Paris! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, that was a problem. That was a oh, problem. God, what a nightmare! Man, that's bad. <laughs> Poor Chicote. He seems quite suave and he seems like he know he knows what he's doing. He he came across as quite sort of not intimidating but like sensible and strong. And I was like, hmm, this guy seems like he's got a good backstory. I also want to know why he hates Tom Paris, because I too hate Tom Paris, and the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Therefore, <laughs> Chicote good, Tom Paris bad. <laughs> Is um is Chicote the first uh, Native American character we've had in any Star Trek? He's the first main character. There are some in other, like they encounter some Native American um, people. Okay. In um, in in places, there's a, 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 a one about them basically relocating. Uh, such a group, and there are colony. There are Native American colonies in uh, right in Star Trek and things like that. Is, as in, they have gone to another planet, not yeah, and, the other way around. And is Tuvok the first Vulcan of color that we've seen as well? At least, definitely main character wise, or like I feel like character? there was a black Vulcan dude in the background on DS9. And the only reason I think that is because my only vague memory of DS9 as a child is watching some very boring round table with Worf um, and then there's a Black Vulcan. I mean, maybe it was actually just an episode of Voyager. And then my dad on the sofa behind me being like, they have Black Vulcans now? This is political correctness gone mad! (laughs) (laughs) 
which is such a like early noughties my dad thing to say. <laughs> I love my dad. He's he's come a long way since then. Is, but, that, uh... is, that, is that what your submission for Red Shirt's headcanon of the week is? Is, it... <laughs> is that two Vox existence is was a personal slight against Steve well, Church? It, it, no, it's not. Guardian so... readers have forced there to be a black Vulcan in Star Trek. <laughs> no, I, I, I was suggesting that your submission for headcanon is that political correctness has gone too far. <laughs> no, I actually have a list of potential uh, uh, headcanons for this episode, and I shall I shall keep them to myself until the end. My, my headcanon for this episode is that Neelix is a massive prick and I hate him. <laughs> oh, um, oh, chill. All right, ch- chill. Right, chill. we've done we've done Janeway, we've done we've briefly touched on Tuvok and Harry Kim. I'm sure we'll see more of these guys in later episodes as well. We've touched yeah. on Chakotay. Oh, Bilana. Banana, BL six head Nana Torres. Ston yeah. gave half of his forehead <laughs> to Bilana. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lovely, lovely return from uh, from Ston. <laughs> there. So I'm really happy that Ston slash Scone slash Scone has made it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you think he butters his uh, cream or his jam first? Sorry, back to Bilana. <laughs> so she's. Part, I liked her. She's part. She's Klingon, cool, yeah? which is awesome. She definitely seems to be the voice of the marquee objections to Starfleet, at least yeah. in this episode. <gasps> so this Maybe Bilana's dad was a Klingon, but he had a micro penis. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No. <laughs> Nathan's head is in his hands. Uh, <coughs> it's just yes. I don't object to Starfleet. I never cool, see it coming. When when you went <laughs> like that, I was like, oh, this is going to be an interesting. No, it turns out to be an observation about micro penis. It's excellent. Good. That's part of the problem with the micro penis, Nathan. Is you you can never see it coming. Hey, look, you know what? I think a Klingon micropenis is going to be a good seven inches at least. <laughs> <laughs> You're implying that normal Klingon penises, not that normal as a thing. A Sorry, normal Klingons. Klingon penis. I imagine a normal Klingon penis, like, Worf unzips his pants and it's like, shludong down onto the... <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, I've just had a thought. Is it yes, that Worf is the character who could suck his own cock? No, 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 be quiet. Um... There's an episode of TNG that revolves around the fact that Worf survives something because the Klingon body has many redundant uh, versions of its important organs, essentially wow. second copy. Holy shit, so Klingons cool. must have two dicks. Yes! Oh my god! Like a spare that's one. That's amazing! Worf could <laughs> yeah. have sex like a human centipede. It'd be like <laughs> an Eiffel Tower, but one man and two... <laughs> Women or other men? <laughs> do you think, because they're so warlike, do you think Klingons use their second penis as a weapon? Because it's, so, it's so hefty. While like, you're at the urinal, you're like peeing with one cock and slapping the guy next to you with the other. Oh, God, can you imagine how bad your shy cock would be if you went to the loo next to somebody who was a Klingon? <laughs> Oh Lord Almighty! <laughs> I wonder. I wonder how many like. I wonder, I wonder how, how many penises have space alien has. <laughs> yeah, but how this, this gives me the idea that many space aliens might have different uh, toiletry needs. So rather than dividing by gender or anything bullshit like that, Starfleet vessels just have an entire toilet deck, which is like fully Norian human. I once read a Star Trek fan fiction where Vulcan penises were like two corkscrew penises that like intertwine around each other like, like a, a creeper going up a tree. Like two duck penises intertwined, but then fusing together into one head at the top of the penis. Like, how do we get there here every week? I, in my head, I'm picturing that, and it's like the, um, you, you know, the <laughs> the logo on a paramedic's uniform, like, where it... <laughs> The, the, like the, the staff of Asclepius, <laughs> Asclepius, or however you pronounce it, yeah, the Roman god of medicine. Absolutely. Yeah, that was like the Vulcan penis. Sorry, we were talking about Bill on a Torres, and we have gone a long way south. How many penises do you think sexy Vulcan Liam Gallagher's got? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I do have a sex-based observation that I wrote down. So oh, thank God. This feels the, the Go time for it. To, to, to point it out. Is that, essentially, from what this episode tells us in its final climax, Voyager is stuck in the Delta Quadrant because the caretaker does not know how to fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he—that—that's he, his whole thing—is that he can't. He's trying to procreate, and that's why he kidnaps Harry Kim and uh, Bialana. Yeah, and Bialana. So, because he's trying to find a way of of like creating a new person who can take over his role for him, I suppose. Uh, he's... They would have cute children, to be fair. Like Harry Kim and Bialana were two of the best-looking people in the show. I reckon. Yeah, I'd get episodes. stuck in her Delta Quadrant. <laughs> Hashtag Jake Donaldson is a bad feminist. <laughs> oh my god, love it. I really like that she, uh, when the Klingon side of her kind of came out, as it were, she seemed like she's very much rejecting that part of her personality, which I thought was a shame, because I thought it would be nice to just see her kind of just like be herself, um, instead of being like, oh, I'm a human, but then occasionally I turn into a Raja. Um, she like throws herself at the door and is like, let me out! <laughs> Um, and attacks the door, but she does it in this like very delicate and feminine way that is sort of appropriate of a 20th century female heroine. It's not like, ah, the Klingon rage! <laughs> like, you know if Laurel had gone out that door, that door would have been smithereens within <laughs> two minutes. But yeah. when Balana throws herself at it, she's like, no! Ah, my feminine arms! Sorry, that's probably... I'm going to get cancelled as well. That's probably not very feminist of me either. Sorry, Bolana. Oh. Yeah, the one who keeps his mouth shut. Not going to get cancelled. Have we established <laughs> that Nathan Thomas is the only person who's not going to get cancelled by this show? <laughs> I like Bolana a lot. I thought she was cool. She seems really cool. And I like that she was, like, unimpressed with Starfleet and just kind of, you know, sassing everyone about it. Should we um, move on to the Doctor, the emergency <gasps> medical? The hologram Doctor! He is so cool. I've written at the end, the last thing that I've written about this episode is I hope the Hollow Doctor comes back and they don't get a real Doctor because he was awesome! <laughs> Good and news, I they love... do not get a real Doctor! <laughs> Yes! He remains their doctor forever. Yes! I'm so happy. I love the fact that they, they leave him turned on and everyone repeatedly forgets to turn him off after they've left the med bay and that's like a running gag. And then at one point in the show, they leave him on for three days while they've all been kidnapped. <laughs> what on earth was he doing for those three days that they were kidnapped and like living with the caretaker? I'll, I'll tell you. Just like wandering around the med bay, hypoing himself because he's got nothing else to do. Ah. Do, you, do you want to know what the last note I made on this episode is? Uh, in my yeah, go on. It says, "Oh fuck off!" If Neelix is a recurring character. Oh. And no. then underneath it, it says, I... "Kes can stay." I like Kes. <laughs> Kes has a terrible wig. It is um, the worst also, wig. <laughs> yeah, it is a really bad wig. I I think it's sweet that she and Neelix are together. I think it clearly shows that in their Delta Quadrant, although they retain. Um, you know, oppressive beauty standards for women, they reject them for men. And that's, that's progressive. <laughs> so it, good for Delta Quadrant. He, he is punching, like, what does... <laughs> About 12 hierarchies above him. <laughs> he's in Division 2. He's in Division 2. He's, he's like... <laughs> he's Billingham FC. <laughs> and she's Man U. <laughs> Um, the th one of the things that it does actually enrages me the most about most media, and I will not turn this into a rant, I will purely keep it related specifically to Neelix, is the recurring theme of, within all just film and television, um, that if you're a funny and like good-hearted guy, it doesn't matter what you look like, you can get the hottest girlfriend possible, but you very rarely see a couple the opposite way round, where like a non-traditionally attractive woman is able to bang Zac Efron like Tracy Turnblad does in um, Hairspray. That's like the only example I can think of off the top of my head. And she's also really pretty. She's just like fat. Do you know what I mean? It is like a recurring issue, I think, with society <coughs> and also television so an observation i have because uh, we've kind of done the characters let's let's mop up a few 
other like random observations. I found on YouTube not long after making this note uh, the some kind of cut because everything in this episode is some kind of something <laughs> else. It's some kind of Tetrion beam. It's some kind of force field. This is some kind of transporter. Some kind of hologram. What do you mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> stop, stop using that description. Yeah. Like, We're in Delta Quadrant. Physics doesn't apply anymore. <laughs> Just call it what you want. I'll, I'll, I'll put it. I'll send it to you guys and put it in the show notes. Um, there's some kind of cut because it's amazing because it's just a cut of across all Star Trek series, everyone describing something as some kind of <laughs> something else. And it's amazing. <laughs> and there's a little counter as to how many some kinds of there are. <laughs> to quote Picard, yeah. why does everything have to be a something or a whatever? <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Guys, I've written down here, you know when they all get kidnapped into what seems to be like Georgia. I don't actually know if it's Georgia, but there's like a kind of white clapboard house and a grandma giving them jugs of lemonade. So that seems like the southern United States, um, <laughs> based on my zero knowledge. Uh, <laughs> um, then they get after that kidnapped. I don't. Wh- sorry, first of all, why the fuck is like Georgia the thing that the caretaker decides his <laughs> like seventy thousand light year away space station is going to emulate? But secondly, after that, why do they all? Um, have to be put in racks in what kind of looks like all of the humans in the Matrix when they're inside their little pods. That seems pods. unacceptable. We- I'm not. I. I. We just didn't. No. No, thank you. I was unhappy about the entire sequence, and then they were in there three days. I'm just. Uh, I didn't like that. But also, yeah, it was horrible. And it was also really dark, I think, for classic Star Trek always, to me, is quite sweet and wholesome. But then seeing all of their sort of naked bodies with their arms hanging down, lying on these metal slabs, I was like, bloody hell. And then we see the shots of the needles going into them. Like, what? Janeway kind of goes, ah, ah. And then Harry Kim goes, ah. And I'm like, what were they giving Harry <laughs> compared to what they were giving Janeway? <laughs> I mean, what is what is a true shame is that Neelix didn't go through that either. <laughs> I wish he'd been inflicted torture. Uh... Another another piece of uh, trivia is they had a completely different um, uh, Janeway at eh? the. What? Yeah, so they had a completely different actor. What? Yeah, so Genevieve Bujold. Um but she left after two um days of few of filming um because the work schedule was demanding. But apparently she was a nightmare to work <laughs> with. Oh my god, that's so interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I mean this was by far one of the most troubled Star Trek productions ever the um, wow like uh, not a lot of the as it went on not a lot of the actors were happy with their um, role really um, so what yeah, was going on yeah they felt that um, the male officers in particular felt that their characters didn't get a lot of expansion from their initial position so Ensign Mm. Harry Kim stays in Ensign the entire series and never gets more experience (laughs) oh no poor Harry that's so cruel and that yeah and then like um are they just like well wait till we get home to give you your promotion Harry (laughs) yeah and then um Robert Beltran who plays um Chakotay really didn't like it in general, he's he struggled with enjoying the show, and he also didn't like the um, borderline racist and the the worst bits of the Damn. Native American angle when it was really bad. Because it, it like like I haven't seen all the Voyager, but I I take it from higher authorities that there are some bad episodes with um, stereotypical shit like spirit guides, like. Then uh, and then Jerry Ryan, who plays Seven of Nine later on, oh, was always like sex object stuff. Um, but like overall, the show's thought of quite highly. It's just that it was one of the most like fractious Star Trek shows to ever like exist. 
Have you guys heard the amazing theory that Voyager got Barack Obama elected president? What? What? This is amazing. <laughs> so, Seven of Nine's not in the first series. Um, they bring her in later on because not enough people were watching the show and they thought they needed to inject some sex appeal. So, Seven of Nine, Jerry Ryan comes on in a silver cat suit. At the time, um, she was married to a bloke called Jack Ryan, who was a politician. Uh, Jack Ryan um, was... Uh, sorry. Because of the difficulties of shooting Voyager that you've just mentioned and how um, demanding the schedule was, um, Jerry and Jack Ryan had a lot of trouble in their marriage and Jack Ryan ended up having an affair, um, which he put down to the fact of her being so busy all the time with Voyager. Um, Jack Ryan was running in the 2004 US Senate race in Illinois against Barack Obama. When news about his affair came out and the collapse of his marriage, um, he went down in the polls and Barack got the boost that he needed um, to push him into the Senate. And uh, <laughs> extrapolate, shit. extrapolate, extrapolate, made Barack Obama president. Thank you, Seven of Nine. You are our queen. <laughs> <laughs> Not the character I would have expected to be cited as an inspiration for <laughs> That makes me so happy. I love that. Yeah, that's great. That's amazing. Um, oh, imagine that episode of Hashtag Sexy Space Show. <laughs> um, well, just some random observations about things that I picked up on. Yes. That, that ship seems too small to only have 15 decks. <laughs> Like it just seems small for some reason. <laughs> um, oh, then... yeah, speaking of the ship and random observations, can we talk about how the bridge really leans hard into the 90s aesthetic and that all of the chairs are like lazy boys? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, the other 90s thing, the Voyager is uh, fitted with bioneural circuitry. Some of it is alive. <laughs> <laughs> It's been replaced with gel packs rather than traditional cir- uh, circuitry. I'm like that sounds like a terrible idea. That sounds super bad. So you've just but got I'm brains. That sounded brilliant in the nineties. You've got brains like floating around inside engineering. Like let me out, <laughs> let me out. Um, <laughs> Half a human brain. The other, the, the other ship-based observation. Am I the only person who wants to know what Bolian-style tomato soup is? <laughs> Yeah, also, I want to know why Tom Paris was so raggy at the tomato soup machine when, like, come on, mate, you've been on a starship before, just ask it, ask it what you bloody want, it's not that difficult. I can't, it can't even do tomato soup properly. Yeah, piss off you with your Eurocentric eating patterns, <laughs> you racist! <coughs> I mean, that's the worst thing about it, that's the worst thing he does in this episode, I can get on board with the sort of, with the racism <laughs> and the misogyny, but the sexual harassment. The, his worst crime is that he orders plain tomato soup when there's minestrone yeah. available. <laughs> uh, yeah, final bit of bullshit. Uh, when Neelix says the fool needs company, I feel like that should be the adopted unofficial motto of stuff. <laughs> the fool needs company. Like, if I've ever seen anything sum up the actions of Star, uh, Star Trek protagonists more, it is, the fool needs company. Let's yeah. all go together and do something stupid. Yes. Yeah, let's just follow each other around and see what happens. Yeah, other random observations. Um, I know we've, like, I've ripped the shit out of Tom Paris. Um, maybe he'll do something spectacular in the next four seasons to redeem himself to me. I doubt it. I mean, it. he literally um, saves a man's don't you life think in this episode. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, but, like, once your first step on the show is to, like, sexually harass your colleague, <laughs> my opinion of you is dirt forever. Um, he, don't you think his backstory is interesting in how. He's he was this former hotshot pilot. Then something terrible happens. He I don't know if he like he for some reason he gets kicked out of Starfleet. But then he joins the Marquis. But then he betrays Chakotay. And I was kind of thinking all along. Like I know people say that they hate Michael Burnham um, for reasons that I just can't understand. And then I'm like, but Tom Paris has the same backstory as Michael Burnham, and also he's a shitlord. So why don't you just hate him instead? <laughs> like, turn all of your hate away from it's Michael he's and put it on this guy who actually deserves it. <laughs> so the other interesting thing, other, like, bit of backstory research, because I thought he looked familiar, and he is, 
He's the same actor who plays uh, a character called Nicholas Locarno in an episode of TNG. And it's a really good episode where you see Wesley at Starfleet Academy and there's a flying, like a piloting accident. Um, and it turns out that this piloting accident is done, co- co- is happens because they were doing a manoeuvre that is banned by Academy four Academy pilots to do. And Locarno wants to protect his squad and so tells them all to cover it up. And Picard does some investigating, finds out and absolutely rips the shit out of Wesley. Of course. But Wesley is convinced As he's to... his want. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Wesley is convinced to tell the truth. And Locarno, in the last moment, um, says that he ordered the cover-up and therefore only he should be like punished. And only him, Locarno, is expelled. And they were gonna have the set that character return older and do what Tom Paris is, ah. um, but then they decided not to because they they still cast the same actor oh, and gave him a very similar character. But I kind of sort of th- as someone who's seen Locarno in TNG, I'm kind of like, but that would have been way more yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah, the, he was a really like. He's a really good one-episode character because you really understand where he's coming from, why he makes the mistake he does of lying to a Starfleet tribunal because he's a scared college boy who's like... Oh, that sucks. And, and he's also grown up in this federation which is full of stories of captains and commanding officers taking the hit for their crews. Oh, that's so, sad, yeah. But wow. like, I'm kind of like, oh, that would have been... And I thought he would have been a way more interesting character to... Involved, but they didn't feel they could use that character again, and I was kind of like, mm. "I don't see why." <laughs> maybe they thought it would be too niche, and that people who haven't yeah, seen TNG maybe. would be like, "Why have you brought back this? We need." I don't understand. Switch yeah. channel to HBO <sighs> or something. Yeah. Can we talk about uh, the hair and makeup and costumes of this episode? Um, we've already mentioned Neelix's all-star uh, suit. Um, Look, as, as much as you don't like it, Jake, I do think Neelix is a pretty good alien design. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly more interesting than the classic just forehead or ears are different combo, <laughs> which we see at least four combinations of in this like two-part episode alone. There's like, Balana, she's got a Klingon seven head. And then there's the Jason, they're orange and bumpy. <laughs> and then there's the Acampa, they just look exactly like Vulcans. And we're not going to do anything else because we ran out of money building their entire city. <laughs> do you think Neelix... How, how big do you think Neelix's cock is? Oh, for God's sake, Jacob! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to say, what do you guys think of the Voyager uniforms? Because I actually think they look more outdated than the TNG uniforms, which is strange because they're new. I, I like them. I, I like the sort of the cool kind of the like V-neck kind of design of them, but I, the fact that yeah. everyone has to wear a, a grey turtleneck underneath it, otherwise they'd just be like constant chest hair. Yeah! Oh my god! I know! Absolutely horrendous! And like, imagine how sweaty and uncomfortable that must be. But, like, in the 90s, did people just wear, like, Jake, you were alive then. <laughs> uh, you were already 35 in the 90s. What were people doing? Did they wear turtlenecks all the time? I wore turtlenecks <laughs> all the time in the 90s. Is that because you were in a baby grow? I, d- I did own a turtleneck <laughs> for a, a brief period in about 2007. Uh, that's oh, my, my wow. uh, headcanon submission for this week, is that... Uh, Starfleet have commissioned Edna Mode from The Incredibles to yes! design all yes! their uniforms. <laughs> no caps. Oh got my god, that's an topic. incredible headcap. Is there anything else about the pilot episode of Voyager yes. that we want to talk about before we sign off? Yes, two things. Related to the uniforms, uh, Janeway's hair is incredible. It's immaculate. <laughs> except when they get pulled to the Delta Quadrant, at which point half of her coif sort of 
her chignon or whatever the hell it is like falls down it's like oh no but then between her leaving the bridge and getting to the warp core she redoes her hair in the turbo lift <laughs> so that it's once again immaculate as she steps out into engineering and i just think that's so on point i also want to point out that when she turns sideways you'll see that the little roll at the back is such a perfect curl that you could genuinely stick a little phaser or tricorder through it <laughs> and store it there it's great it's so practical um it's not practical at all it must take hours in the morning i think it's stupid um, but it looks good um and the other thing that i think is really important to mention about voyager that we've not spoken about yet is that she has a doggo yeah the dog is and my favorite doggo part gets left behind no. I, I also like in the same scene we get the doggo that we are introduced to the fact that she has a fiance. I think it's another yeah. really good character moment. And I think it's a. And I, I happen to Google ahead, so this doesn't stick. But I think it's a nice, like. Yes, we've got a female captain. No, our um, other men won't be romancing her. Fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that. Uh, like, yeah, I, I like that, Nathan. I hadn't thought of it the way that you put it like that. But, but yes, it establishes yeah. her as being. Yeah, she's a captain. That's what she's there for. She's not just, like, female character of the week that's going to yeah. end up in a romance. That said, I would yeah. be interested in any fanfic about her and Tuvok. Mmm! <laughs> I'm going to see if there is some, because I bet there is. Oh, there will be, yeah. What about Tuvok and Neelix in the bathtub? Oh, God. <laughs> that's, that's like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Tuvok and Neelix in the bathtub. <laughs> and the meaning is... Jake's just lost his erection. <laughs> oh my goodness. I've got a um, red shirt's headcanon for the episode. Okay, go ahead. Although I do like Jake's, but I'd like to submit a second um, potential headcanon. Okay. I noticed that the, the beam-up system for the transporter in Voyager has a very different effect from what I'm used to seeing on the other shows. Instead of being like the kind of light, twinkly light thing that they have on TOS, it's kind of like a screen wipe, like on a PowerPoint presentation. But the colours are pink, purple and blue when it does that. So my headcanon is that every time you get beamed up onto Voyager, you automatically become bisexual. (laughs) Except Tom Paris, who is the only straight white male racist on board. (laughs) I love it. I'm happy with that as as our um, headcanon for this week. Unless unless Nathan's got anything. (laughs) No, no, no. That's too good. Everyone who gets... Uh, yeah, there's yes. not much to say about the... I, th- the thing is, we've talked about the characters and what we thought of Voyager and stuff, but that's what a pilot's supposed to be about, isn't yeah. it? Like, mm-hmm. there's not much in this episode that is to write home about. I think it, it definitely contrasts to TNG and Deep Space Nine and probably Discovery as well, where there is a lot more to talk about in terms of the episode itself. This one, it feels very like We've got to introduce you to a lot of characters very quickly, so we're going to do that quite efficiently and also set up yeah. our show. Yeah, um, yeah, which they did serviceably. Yeah, they did. But it you're was right. a perfectly competent pilot. But I think when we return to Voyager, we need to find an episode that perhaps exemplifies either its flaws or its uh, positives much more yeah, strongly. I, I actually yeah, really enjoyed yeah, the I episode, agree. But, uh, I, 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 oh, fair I enough. enjoyed it. I just don't think it shows much of their like. Plot writing. All right, where would you guys all put it on a on a zero to ten scale then, Jake? Where would you have rated it? Um, I'd give it a seven out of ten. I think. Yeah. I. I oh, right. I, okay. I, I, I really liked it. To be honest, I thought I, I enjoyed oh, the. Fair. I liked the story. I liked all of the characters apart from Neelix. Um, and I, yeah, I, I think it was. I, I think it was pretty good considering it's nearly two hours long and lots of it didn't need to be there <laughs> what about you nathan yeah i give it like um a six maybe i i think i like it as i think i like it like jake does and just um yeah i think there there could have been a few more things that i would have 
it could have been, unlike this sentence, a lot more efficient, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then I would have liked it a lot more. Yeah. But, um, but I, I liked, like, it made me interested in watching more of Star Trek yes, Voyager. That's how, that, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I think about it as well. So, it did its job. Yeah. I liked the characters, but I was quite bored by the story with the Acampa, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it's quite telling that we haven't really discussed the storyline at all in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it felt like that was one thing. It felt like there were one too many agents yes. in the story. So there was mm. the Acampa, the Kazon, and the Caretaker. And I think if you'd have taken one of those out, it might have been a bit yeah. sleeker. The Kazon just literally didn't need to be there. They were only there as a plot device for the Caretaker to be destroyed. But if he just died anyway, like what he said he was gonna, then it wouldn't have mattered. I think they they just put them in because they needed like. Uh, an ang yeah they needed like an angry sort of like fighty alien that uh, i feel like you could have slightly changed the caretaker's motive to be like uh oh well the ocampa aren't gonna survive so i'm gonna blow them up anyway and yeah. then for, yeah. and then janeway could have been like uh not yes. on my watch fire yeah. Nathan, I think and you would have fixed been... the episode. Like that sounds much better to me. Because at the minute, the, the whole concept is that he's gonna die, and then there's he's worried about who's gonna look after the Acampo after he's died. And it's very Nietzsche, mm. isn't it? It's 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 quite it's like mm. that whole Nietzsche thing of uh, God is dead. Sort of that's the the sort of vibe that they've gone yeah. for, I think, and it doesn't really work. <laughs> Yeah. Are you not going to ask which of the Voyager cast in this episode is most likely to try and suck their own dick? <laughs> Look, I... Because we know my answer. <laughs> Nathan. And I think we know Jake's answer. So uh, that leaves you, Nathan. Nathan. Who do you think, on Voyager, is most likely to suck their own penis? <laughs> Uh, I think it's. I think I'm gonna have to come down on Tom Paris. <laughs> yes, he's like. definitely tried, hasn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's definitely tried. I think the legs may, uh, may do in the future, but the thought hasn't occurred. To yeah, me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that just about wraps everything up for this episode. I think. Uh, thank you to my colleagues and friends, Maddie Churchhouse and Nathan Thomas. Uh, what episode are we going to look at next? Uh, Deep Space Nine's two-part are opening. So we're going to look at the pilot of Deep Space Nine next time, so if you want to watch that and catch up with it before we do, we'll we'll watch that uh, and report back next week. Uh, But other than that, all that's left to say is uh, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, tell your friends, give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, uh, and... uh, Follow hashtag Jake Donaldson as a bad feminist on Twitter. Don't do that. <laughs> but you can follow us on Twitter at RedshirtsCast, or we've got an email address, <laughs> redshirtscast.gmail.com. We've got Instagram as well, at RedshirtsCast, if you want to follow us on Instagram. Uh, otherwise, thank you for listening. Uh, thanks again to our, our wonderful friend, uh, Ben Kavanagh, who did the music for our episode. Uh, and all that all that's left to say is goodbye and live long and prosper.